Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76 where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. To quote my guest today, in the fast-paced world of operations, leaders are often looking for the silver bullet that can solve all their challenges. He'll tell you that although there may not be a one-size-fits-all solution, there are some fundamental tools that any manufacturing leader should consider putting in his or her tool belt. From SOPs to Kaizen events to strategic planning, he'll break down some of these tools that together can put your organization on a path to operational excellence. Let me introduce him. Dave Chrysler is Principal Operations Consultant at the Chrysler Club and host of the Everyday Business Problems podcast. 20 years of working for a publicly traded corporation that grew through acquisition provided Dave with the opportunity to optimize and grow several different businesses during his career. Entering entrepreneurship, Dave quickly realized there was a tremendous need within the mid-market manufacturing and distribution businesses to leverage systems that optimize planning, people, processes, and technology. It was during this time that Dave developed the operations framework that he uses to create systems that reduce friction and free up resources to maximize profitability. Dave was recently recognized by PEX, the Process Excellence Network, as a top 50 thought leader in operational excellence for 2023. Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Joe. Excited to uh, get into this conversation with you. Likewise. Well, Dave, you've been in or around manufacturing your whole life. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how Chrysler Club came to be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My parents, you know, owned two different print manufacturing companies as I was growing up. And um, I kind of growing up in that environment, right? I thought the the easy, simple answer, because I saw how difficult it was and for my parents to grow those businesses, I thought the simple answer was go work for a really big company. And uh, so that's what I found myself doing for the majority of my professional career and spent nearly 20 years uh, with that with that same organization and had the, the fortunate ability to move around and kind of experience a lot of different businesses, a lot of different product lines. And coming out of that, I actually owned a, a small manufacturing company for a bit of a stint before launching the consulting business. And for me, it's it's kind of this, you know, everyday challenge that folks in manufacturing distribution, everybody is surrounded by problems. Everybody's surrounded by fires. And it's really no different in terms of how we look at those things and ultimately prioritize where we spend our efforts to improve. You know, everybody in and around the space is looking for ways to optimize their business, looking for ways to grow profitably. Lots of folks love to talk about revenue generation, but the the reality of it is, you know, we make our money, we make our cash in operations, doing the things that our businesses were created to do. And that's where I love to spend my time. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate that I get to do that on a daily basis with a lot of different people. And every day is different, which is something that that I just love about manufacturing in general. You know, there, there's always a challenge ahead of us. <laughs> there's always something to work on and to look at through a different lens. Dave, I was reading an article you wrote um, titled Five Tools Every Operations Leader Must Use for Excellence. Could you name those for us? And then maybe we'll kind of go into them one by one. Yeah, I certainly had to pare that list down because there's uh, there's certainly more than five. But, you know, when I think about it and kind of think back through all of the different kind of opportunities and activities and businesses, these for me were kind of the the essential five, if you will. Um, the first one for me is is SOPs, right? Standard operating procedures. This is something that, you know, kind of everybody recognizes the importance of, but no matter if we're talking about, you know, all the way back to how my parents operated their manufacturing businesses throughout my corporate career, even today as an independent consultant, you know, when we start to talk about SOPs, it's really interesting when I start asking very pointed questions, what those SOPs actually look like in the real world, right? So for me, that's kind of number one. Beyond SOPs, we need some sort of a tool to help us with project management. And again, I would say early in my kind of leadership career, I, I didn't put a lot of focus or weight on this. I did a lot of what I think most operations leadership folks do kind of, yeah, I, I know I have these priorities. I know I've got these kind of projects going on, but what ends up happening over time is, you know, kind of some, some of the details behind those or the tasks that ultimately drive those kind of fall by the wayside. And then, you know, we're in this constant scramble mode, right? So for me, project management, having an actual tool and a process that's surrounds that ultra, ultra important in terms of, you know, driving efficiency and, and meeting our goals. A third behind that, which really is related to the other two is KPIs, right? Key performance indicators. We've got to understand through the lens of, of data, what we are trying to measure and ultimately what we're trying to improve. And there's, you know, just an, a never ending list of KPIs. So one of the things that is a generally a big miss in the KPI space is lead versus lag. And, you know, we are, are kind of conditioned from a leadership perspective to always be looking at lag indicators, which, you know, that's that's what's already happened, right? The real unlock for me was figuring out a way to identify leading indicators. So, you know, ways that we could kind of predict the future, if you will, in terms of what's going to happen. So that that for me is the third kind of most important tool. Number four is all around kind of team communication, having some sort of a feedback loop and understanding, you know, a couple of different things. Obviously, you need to do it from a one-on-one -on -one perspective for, for people on your team and throughout your organization. But you also need to understand, like, you know, from that perspective, what, what are the roadblocks? What are the things that are slowing them down? And if you haven't built in any kind of a feedback loop, it, it becomes very challenging and, and you kind of get this siloed view from the leadership perspective, you know of of what's slowing them down. So you really got to get out in the weeds in my opinion, create that feedback loop working with your team to to make sure that there's effective communication across there. And the fifth one for me is strategic planning. It kind of, you know, brings all of those elements together, but it's a cycle of strategic planning. A lot of folks, you know, kind of do this once every 3 or 5 years. And this is honestly something that that I kind of preach to do on a quarterly basis. You know, you have a cycle, you have a couple of key elements within that uh strategic planning cycle and you're reviewing those on a quarterly 
quarterly basis that kind of gets you to that annual basis. And that that kind of resets, you know, all of the things that we just talked about, resets your priorities and kind of constantly has you into looking for these opportunities to increase efficiency and and you know really drive growth for your business. Yeah, great rundown there and really nice list. I want to ask you about a couple of them in a little more yeah. depth here. So that fifth one strategic planning. So we're, we're big at Gorilla. We're big EOS people, um, which I'm sure you're, you're familiar with and yep. entrepreneurial operating system based on traction by Gino Wickman. I've mentioned that many times on, on this show. Um, I know you've kind of have your own framework, right? That you've, you've developed called foundations. Tell us a little bit what, what that's all about and what's sort of unique about it. Yeah. So frameworks are great, right? And uh, big proponent of them. And from my perspective, you know, so many people get so wired into the framework or to the methodology. And for me, it's really about kind of the concept retention, right? We have to make things approachable for folks and make the, make it simple, not just for the leadership element, but for the people doing the thing. And I find, generally speaking, that that's where a lot of the miss comes with some of the frameworks and methodologies that are out there. So kind of with that in mind, what I developed, I call our operations framework. And basically, it starts with our foundation. Now, foundation for me is a cycle of continuous improvement, right? So I look at that and I say, we have to think about everything we're doing from this cycle of improvement, right? You kind of hear, well, you either win or you fail and you learn, right? Like you hear things like that. So when I was developing the foundation for our operations framework, what I was thinking about was, you know, kind of the continuous improvement loop. And for me, that is plan, execute, review, revise, repeat, right? So it's a five-part framework, but it gets you into this thought process. We want to identify some things on paper, right? We got to get it down. I got to get it out of our mind, get it down on paper. Well, then we got to do something, right? We can't spend all our time planning. We got to actually do it. So there's the execute, right? The review, revise, repeat comes into what's working well, what's not working well, right? So that's that's the review. The revise is how do we do more of what is working? How do we change or eliminate what's not? And then the repeat is getting us into that constant loop, right? So that is the foundation from my perspective of everything we're doing in and around our business. Doesn't matter if we're talking about manufacturing and distribution, doesn't matter if we're talking about service-based businesses, this can apply universally. For me, the next layer up is taking a look at, you know, kind of the the elements of what an effective business system become to be, right? And so for me, when most people talk about business systems, they're thinking immediately technology. And from my perspective, you know, an effective business system is really made up of four key components, planning, people, process, and technology. And the reason that it's, for me, broken down into those four elements is because without that effective planning and bringing people together to understand the process, we can't identify a technology to help us execute the process flows and eliminate eliminate the inherent uh, errors within those process flows, right? So you can't do it any other way. You can't start with the technology and then implement that and then define your process flows, right? If you do it from the backward strain, what ends up happening? You you see all kinds of statistics about 70 to 80% technology adoption and implementation failure rates. You get really upset people because they're like, man, you know, Dave's not listening to me. I told him that this is our problem and, and you know, we're implementing this technology over here that has nothing to do with what's actually slowing down my process. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's kind of the next layer out. 
Then what what rounds it out for me is kind of the six key business systems that everybody needs to deploy within their business to really drive sustainable growth. You've got customer development, you've got operations, uh, financial management, info management, uh, admin, and uh, IT. And, you know, across that lens, you want to be making sure that you've got all of those elements kind of coming together and working together. Uh, and those are the those are are for me the the kind of fundamentals of being able to drive any type of sustainable growth for your business. OK, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details. Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice per month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success, and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high-impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats, so visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin. Dave, I wanted to come back around to something you were talking about a few minutes ago when you were naming your list of um, five tools for operational excellence. Yeah. You mentioned SOPs or standard operating procedures. What are some of the common problems you see with SOPs when they're implemented and what criteria do they really need to meet to be useful? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge uh, with what I see, you know, in the real world, I call it, is, you know, generally in manufacturing distribution. You know, there's a lot of hands-on work that happens. So generally, when you ask for SOPs or documented work instructions, they they live in some sort of manual fashion. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what ends up happening is because they are, you know, printed documents that kind of live in that three-ring binder, uh, more times than not, you know, they're outdated. More times than not, they are not easily accessible. If they are in that manual fashion, they're certainly not searchable. They're generally long form written. Most people don't learn that way. Most people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. So the point is that existing SOP documentation, while important kind of in its long form, doesn't do anybody any good if you can't find what you need, when you need it, where you need it. 
And so I would say, generally speaking, that is the biggest set of issues with what exists today. And that kind of rolls into, well, we don't really have SOP documentation. So if we don't really have, you know, valuable SOP documentation, how can we be kind of upset? I'm talking as a leadership group, how can we really be upset that our team isn't executing consistently or executing what we determine as our best practice, right? We're not providing them the tools that they need where they need it and making it accessible for how they learn and how they operate in order to do the thing that they need to do, right? So that 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 is for me kind of the thing I see time and time again across businesses. Yeah, I can really relate to that. I you know, there's a, we've identified as an organization, my leadership team, that we are a lot. Of, there's a lot of Type A personalities. We like to have all the details down. We love to processize and unfortunately, in many cases, over-processize things. And then we, we put all this work into making these procedures and processes and they they live there and then they don't wind up getting used. Or there's so many of them, they're so detailed that there's no room for flexibility in how we work. And or, or certain people don't even realize they're all there because there's so many different things. And so I think that making the rubber meet the road there is so important. Like, not making them so complex that they are overwhelming and making sure they're accessible. People know how to access them and, and tangibly put them to use. Uh, Cause you can really, you can in some cases do more damage than good. I think if you're not um, setting people up for success with how to use those procedures. Yeah. I mean, to that point, right? Like a lot of times we're thinking from the leadership aspect, you know, well, Hey, we have all this stuff. Like why, why aren't you guys using this? You know? And you know, it's interesting, like early in my leadership career. So, you know, again, working for my parents, those were businesses that were started in, you know, the 70s and 80s. And so if you think back to what the leadership style was back then, it was very much top down. It was, you know, there wasn't a lot of kind of collaborative effort. And, you know, for me, I brought a lot of that in when I was kind of in the early days of my leadership career. And it it took a lot of, you know, not just time, but kind of getting more and more responsibility and in, in like bigger teams and bigger facilities for me to kind of recognize that not only is that an ineffective way to lead, but, you know, when I'm looking at a situation like, you know, why why isn't Dave over here executing this process? Why aren't they using the tools that we've already got deployed here? And it's easy on the surface as a leader to kind of look at that and say, well, we have a problem with Dave. You know, Dave is obviously the problem here, right? Like we have all the things, but Dave is actively choosing not to use them. And what took me a really long time to figure out is that by and large, right? So in in my opinion, it's 98 or 99 out of 100 people, right? There is a reason. And it is generally a valid reason in terms of why somebody isn't doing what we expect. Now, it's up to us as the leader to figure out what that is. And, and that generally comes through conversation, you know, and yes, of course, you're going to, there's always going to be the one person, right? There's always going to be the exception to the rule where somebody actively chooses like, nope, guess what? I'm proving a point today. Here you go. But by and large, there is a reason. And and when we're talking about SOPs, a lot of that reason is very simple. I don't know how to find what I need. Mm. And when I find what I need, it's like this 14-page document. And I don't know what are the key parts of this that I really need to key in on to make sure that I haven't, you know, forgotten something, a key element. So 
all of that to say, like one of the things I talk about when we're talking about SOPs is, you know, you have to use what what I, I like to call process prompts, right? But you can call it whatever you want. Again, back to the, I don't care what we call it, right? Let's talk about what the point is. The point of a process prompt or a checklist, something like that, you know, research shows that when we document and handwrite things, we retain things, right? Mm -hmm. Research says that. So if we can develop as part of our system a way to give people the key points of information. So if you've got a really detailed process, what are the six key steps? What are the 10 key steps? And when we identify those, put those into a checklist format, now all of a sudden we're taking, so now we have two documents, right? We have the long form SOP that people can go into detail, really important during onboarding and initial training, really important during retraining, right? But on a daily basis or on an activity basis, they now have this supplemental piece of information, a process prompt checklist. These are the six key things that we have to make sure we do to to meet our best practice, right? And that does two things. It gives them a tool. It also then helps to identify additional gaps within your process documents that you can then go and do a process improvement initiative on to, you know, close those gaps, right? So it's all about giving people the appropriate tools. It's about meeting them where they're at, how people learn, how people engage. So if you have these big SOP manuals and nobody's reading them, how about creating some videos with it? How about Mm -hmm. creating some pictures or diagrams that, again, supplement the information in there? You still have to start with the, you know, the 14 page document, but then you have to take that information and make it relevant and meaningful and give people the tools they need, you know, to execute. So. Well said, packed a lot in there. And I I love the last point you made too, that sometimes the written word is not the right way to show, teach or show somebody or explain how to do something when you can, with all the tools at our disposal these days and cameras on our phones in our pocket that are better than the best cameras you could buy in the market 10 years ago and (laughs) tools like Loom where you can record your screen, right? And like point something out there. I mean, there's so many ways to communicate quickly that can save you a lot of time in creating the documentation and also just make it a lot lot more accessible. And I think it becomes especially true as we look at, you know, you look at all the manufacturing organizations that are having so much trouble recruiting and, you know, the, the overall challenge of bringing the next generation, you know, young millennials, Gen Zs into the workforce. And you think about how they communicate and their comfortability with media, different types of media, um, how can we use some technology to, you know, SOPs just feel like a really great example. Is there a better way to teach and train and show somebody how to do something that will actually make them more inclined to process that information and put it to use? Yeah. I mean, what, you know, manufacturing from, from my perspective is, you know, a lot of times I'll give you an, a great example of of kind of how, you know, what I just laid out it can be put to use in the real world, right? So I was working with a manufacturer that, um, you know, they had this custom setup that would generally take a few hours to accomplish on one of their production lines. And it wasn't a product that they ran often, but it was often enough that they had to repeat this, this setup, this make ready. And by going through and not just creating that long form documentation, but by also taking running video of both the setup and the production run, 
And then taking that information and breaking it down into kind of, you know, step one, step two, step three for both the setup and the production run, not only were we cutting those times, you know, more than in half in terms of what the setup was, but now all of a sudden people felt confident because it's kind of like you start with the primer of watching the video of this product running. And when you have these production lines that maybe are a little bit more kind of hands-on in terms of adjustments and things like that, you have to get a feel for what this thing looks like while it's running. How did we get it to turn here? How did we get this flap to fold up there? All of those different elements, you know, that's a real world kind of use case for something like this. Now, does it take time to create that? Sure. But it also takes time for somebody on your team to basically recreate it in their mind and do that setup from memory when the last time they did it was three or six months ago. How -hmm. much time do you think we're spending? How many blanks do you think we're running through? Right. So, Yes, there is some initial investment in terms of creating this documentation, but the return is certainly there. You think about just from an efficiency and utilization standpoint, then you think about it from a material standpoint. We're now having to require less material from a a make ready and setup standpoint. Obviously, the production run is going to go smoother, so we're going to be scrapping less parts throughout the run. And we've also increased our efficiency and utilization on both the setup and runtime, right? So all of that is leading back towards increasing our overall profitability for that particular product for sure. And then maybe that then leads us into, you know, the ability to sell that at a more competitive rate. Now, maybe we're back on the revenue generating side, right? So this stuff touches everything. And it could be challenging to sometimes kind of see that, right? It's easy to kind of see the roadblock of, man, I don't have two hours to sit here and videotape this and then turn that into process documentation. It's easy to kind of just say, well, just go ahead and do it. We'll do it next time around. But the reality of that simple decision is the fact that, you know, those those things snowball into the rest of your organization. So, you know, that that is kind of it's simple on the surface, right? It's complex underneath in terms of what it impacts. So you you have to be mindful of that. That took me a really long time to learn as an ops leader. So love all that. Really great insights. Dave, shifting gears here. Yep. I know you're a big advocate of Tizen events and manufacturing organizations. For those who are listening who aren't super familiar, can you tell us what that's all about? Yeah. So Kaizen was really kind of a part of the kind of Japanese culture and the things that were foundational to what we kind of accept and know today, right? Lean manufacturing, Six Sigma, you know, Toyota production system, all of these things started there. And there's a whole big, uh, really interesting story about how it came here. And and uh, I, I won't go into the history of all that, but, you know, the thing to take away on the Kaizen events, you know, and again, not getting wrapped up on the the terminology. I know a lot of people will uh, shame me for that in, in my space space. But again, I'm more about the concept. So the concept around Kaizen is, you know, continuous improvement. That's, That's loosely the translation is continuous improvement. And the whole point is to search out quick wins. And so a Kaizen event is a really great way to kind of get started when you're thinking about how to improve and optimize anything in and around your business. So a couple of the really key elements and some of the misses that I see when people think about it and want to implement this in their business. So one of the big misses is that we look for something in terms of a problem statement that is too broad, 
right? So we we start with something way too big. We try to tackle something way too big as a Kaizen event. And then it snowballs into a really long event that ends up not yielding any results. So what, what you really want to do is have something very, very specific, super focused that you can generally knock out in like a couple of days at the most. Okay. So a really great Kaizen event would be something like, you know, a work cell, let's say, and I, I give you a great example of one um, that we did. So uh, this was around inventory management. And so we had a lot of obsolete and outdated inventory. So we did a, a focus Kaizen event over a couple of days looking for opportunities to basically go through, identify all of the obsolete items, get them pulled out of our inventory, get them consolidated in an area and get a plan to eliminate that, right? So that did a few different things, kind of got people in and around the mindset of like, hey, how can we have some quick wins around here? What's going to be the result of this thing that we're going to try to do? So that's the point, you know, really quick wins, something very ultra focused, and then you do another one, right? So instead of doing like an entire inventory management Kaizen, let's just take a look at a subset of that. How do we make it smaller so that way we can knock this thing out within a couple of days. The other big kind of element of Kaizen is, you know, making sure that you're bringing together cross-functional teams for this. And that's kind of no different than if you're talking about a general process improvement uh, initiative as well. And when you bring people from the outside, so when you bring kind of other folks within the organization that don't directly touch the thing you're working on. So in this in this scenario, if we've got our inventory handlers or stockroom folks, whomever kind of generally deals with inventory, if we bring people from other areas of production, now all of a sudden we're asking kind of more meaningful questions. So it's kind of like their curiosity combined with the subject matter expert of the people that touch the thing every day the back and forth that ends up coming out and the the kind of you know again the natural curiosity of like well why do we do that like why do we need why do we need this why are we doing that you know it's it's the outside folks asking the why questions it's the subject matter experts answering why and then having the dialogue so again that's kind of like the you know the the coordinator the person kind of running the kaizen event is looking for these opportunities to expand that conversation and and then ultimately making meaningful decisions as you're coming out of that. So yeah, look for a quick win, quick wins, build momentum across your team. I I personally, when I'm running something like that, I don't get so focused on kind of the history and, you know, all of the elements of it. People again, shame me for that. I am more interested in getting people engaged and having meaningful conversations about what we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do is drive improvement through those conversations, through action, right? Because if we don't do anything, then we're not going to have any any momentum building. So those are some of the kind of misses and things that I really uh, like to encourage people if they're if they're interested in exploring something like Kaizen or, or, or again any type of process improvement initiative. Fantastic! No, I love it, Dave. We've talked about a lot of different things related to you know improving operational excellence. Is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation that I didn't ask you about? Yeah. I think for anybody that is out there, the big challenge around any of these activities is kind of prioritizing, you know, where where do, where should we spend our, our time, our effort, our energy? And, you know, the other element of that is everybody's busy. There's always a fire to put out, uh, especially in and around manufacturing and distribution. 
And so, you know, I encourage you to take a look at things through the lens of, you know, first year kind of team understanding the things that are really slowing them down because when you start to tackle, you know, operational excellence through that lens, you do a couple of things. You not only build momentum for the organization, but you really are building a culture of continuous improvement. And so those quick wins, those those engaging your team, those listening to them, those looking for opportunities that are are kind of low cost, low barrier to entry, high potential, you know, kind of yield, right? Doing that and prioritizing that first it's amazing what it does throughout the organization. So that's kind of number one. The other part of that is obviously identifying things through your KPIs and taking a look at it through that lens and bringing those two things together. Start where you're at, right? This doesn't have to be a big thing that you're rolling out. And you know, when we do those types of things, right? Progress is slow. People think of it as the next flavor of the month and what ends up happening four months, five months, six months from now, we're still in the same place, right? So don't make it that. Make it something really simple, really approachable, and just do one thing. Look for that one quick win that you can get it, get your team wrapped around, and you'd be surprised what that, just that one quick win, something ultra simple would lead to in terms of additional ideas flowing into you from the team doing the thing. Great way to put a wrap on it, Dave. Really good conversation. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Chrysler Club? Yeah, so uh, super active on LinkedIn. You can certainly find me there on Twitter uh, or X now. Uh, We have to call it X, I suppose, Mm -hmm. but uh, super active on both of those platforms. You can also find us on the website and uh, put tons of, you know, free resources, free content out there and available, uh, lots of videos, lots of newsletter articles. So feel free to kind of engage and and check out some of the resources that we have available, put uh, a lot of uh, valuable and actionable stuff out there for free. So I want people to get encouraged to do this stuff. That's how I learned. I learned by doing. And, um, you know, for me, it's been more than 25 years already of doing. So that's how I learned. That's how I try to approach things and put things out for folks to grab hold of and 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 test out in their own environment. Beautiful. Well, Dave, thank you for doing this today. It's a really good conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. It's a great conversation. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>